0: Welcome to the next episode of the Graybeards on Storage podcast, the show where we get Graybeard storage bloggers to talk with system vendors to discuss upcoming products, technologies, and trends affecting the data center today. This Graybeard on Storage episode was recorded on November 5th, 2019. We have with us here today Larry Jones, director of storage product marketing, and Mark Wirtella, Product Management at Cray and HPE Enterprise Company. Solarium Mark, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourselves and what's new with Cray Cluster Store?
1: Thanks, Ray. We have just introduced a brand new storage system tailor-made for HPC and AI. The world will first see it at uh, Supercomputing in Denver coming up here in a couple of weeks. So we invite you all to come by the Cray or HPE booth to see... Uh, the latest and greatest storage system. Uh, And I said HPC and AI. And really, it was very much the combination of those two uh, disciplines which has caused us to rethink our storage architectures uh, for this new uh, exascale era that we're entering. What we're seeing is that there's uh, a load of folks who in their HPC workflows are starting to use um, machine learning and deep learning as part of the process of solving uh, particular problems uh for instance we've seen it in a lot of the computational fluid dynamics in some of the seismic processing workflows
0: you would think that you know computational fluid dynamics would not be a deep learning type of application
1: yeah it's only in some portions of it that it makes sense so as they're trying to um really understand how uh certain metrics are derived the sort of pattern matching expertise of a deep learning system can help them kind of define some of the starting uh, kind of the entry metrics uh, for doing the computations. And it's very similar in uh, kind of seismic processing and other disciplines as well.
0: So, Mark, what's new in your side of things?
2: My uh, role at uh, Cray is more in the software uh, side of things. Uh, This new cluster store E1000 that Larry will tell you more about in just a few moments. Comes with a, a suite of software. Uh, practical examples would be the, the parallel file system that runs on top of it. That's Luster, and uh, that's a significant investment uh, by Cray to build out features, uh, harden this thing at scale, uh, test it, put support around it. And there's a whole story, you know, just on talking about Luster itself. There's uh, going to talk to you about Flash and. Disc and tearing in just in a moment, and the the engine behind all of that cool technology is a. Th- a software suite called cluster store data services and that's the thing that frankly makes it usable uh, allows an administrator or a user to simply you know set it and and, and let it go and not have to manually move data or track it uh it's it's all automatically handled by uh, the software in the system itself so those would be two big components
0: The well, luster's been seemed like been around forever right i mean i Seems like even HPE had products in that space before the acquisition, correct?
2: Yeah, Luster's a couple of generations in at this point in time, but it's very established in the uh, top 500 uh, high-performance computing centers around the world, especially in the top 100 itself. And uh, it just it does the type of work that um, just other file systems just can't meet. They, they, they can't meet the scale. They can't meet the bandwidth performance. And soon, uh, we're going to deliver IOPS performance out of Lustre that uh, can only, you know, high-performance computing centers around the world can only use on a, a really robust parallel file system that's mature, that's reliable, that's robust, has a full set of features behind it.
3: Is it still relying on InfiniBand?
1: So that's actually an interesting area. We, we will fully support InfiniBand. In fact, um, both uh, EDR and HDR, uh, the latest generations of InfiniBand. But Cray is also introducing uh, their own uh, interconnect Uh, which is called slingshot so slingshot is an ethernet based system uh, with a lot of enhancements for handling um, hpc kinds of problems things like uh, being able to pass small messages mpi messages at extremely high rates and importantly for storage it does a couple of things for the storage system it has um, some great congestion management features which means that um, uh, we have a problem in storage where you have lots and lots of compute nodes all trying to read and write to storage at the same time, which can cause congestion. Because of Slingshot, we can eliminate or, or minimize the congestion and make the uh, both the compute side and the Uh, storage side work in uh, much better harmony.
0: So why did you guys decide you needed to do a a new version of storage like this?
1: That's a great question, and it's really around that convergence of uh, HPC and AI, which uh, some of the uh, analysts now, like our friends at Intersect 360, are saying more than half the HPC sites are running AI with their HPC. And so typically, up to now for a machine learning application, you've got one storage infrastructure for AI and an entirely different one for HPC. The AI one can be all all SSD, very focused on IOPS. The HPC one is racks and racks of disks, mainly focused on how do I get great streaming performance at the lowest possible cost. What we're doing with the e1000 which is the name of our new storage system the cluster store e1000 is designed to really converge those two um, those two configurations in a way that lets you get the performance out of the ssds and lets you get the uh, cost advantages and sequential performance out of the uh, more traditional hpc um, uh, infrastructure dominated by disk drives. And that's what Mark was referring to earlier with his um, his data services.
0: It seemed to me Luster was always kind of tied to high bandwidth uh, types of uh, workloads. To move to a more of a IOP level workload seems like a dramatic change.
2: Uh, it is, a, it, it's absolutely a shift. Um, one of, but one of the reasons Luster still makes sense is um that we're also being driven to move into exascale um, you know we're moving out of uh, what we always thought was huge petascale, but you know the leading uh, labs and supercomputing centers around the world are now talking about exascale, which requires storage systems that um, have levels of performance that you j- you really just can't economically build with disk drives any longer uh, they're they're big they're bulky they frankly cost a lot in power and and so this is where flash comes in. Uh, so flash also serves the purpose of keeping the storage scalable meeting the performance requirements uh, but also keeping it economical uh, for customers at the very very high end you know once we once we achieve that of course it becomes consumable for everybody else uh, that may not be a, a doe lab or a supercomputing center
0: so I mean from a from an AI perspective it's it's trying to keep yeah I don't know what the terminology would be for HPC but and for a normal Normal world, it would be GPUs busy and stuff like that. And these GPUs, you know, I've got thousands of cores and that sort of stuff. And in, a, in an HPC compute cluster, there are thousands and thousands of cores of just compute stuff as well, right? Exactly.
1: And so really the the secret that Mark was referring to of the E1000 system is that we've, we're delivering, um, I think it's the first... Uh, NVMe, Generation 4 storage controller, uh, certainly in the HPC market uh, and perhaps uh, elsewhere as well. But what Gen 4 does, as opposed to most of the current uh, uh, Flash systems that you see out in the market, is it's uh, capable of twice the performance of a Gen 3 system. And so where does that matter? As you're pointing out, I need to deliver uh, a lot of IOPS to a a lot of GPUs. And essentially that's, you know, if you're gonna do training uh, on a a deep learning app, you wanna be able to go through a very big training set, pull out just the little bits and pieces that need to be trained on. Uh, You have to do that randomly in order to get the proper results. And so it requires uh, a much higher level of, uh, small random io than you typically see in an hpc workload so that's really what we're trying to do is converge both of those things a little bit of sequential and a lot of random io
0: you said nvme gen 4 Are you really talking pcie gen 4 with nvme on on top of it i guess is that how i clarify this
1: that's correct and the gen 4 uh, nvme drives which are just coming out on the market the ssds that Uh, deliver their uh, throughput through a PCI uh, Gen 4 and NVMe Gen 4 uh, configuration.
0: Okay. And does that mean that you guys are supporting NVMe or Fabric as the interconnect protocol? But you're really a file system, right?
1: yeah nvme over fabric is typically focused on kind of block environments at this point in time, and really what we're focused on is is delivering that kind of high local throughput so uh, we may do nvme over fabric for some applications in the future, but this is um, really an nvme uh, gen four controller. I mean this thing is capable just this one box, never mind racks of boxes, just one. Uh, 2U-24 box is capable of up to 80 gigabytes per second of read performance, 60 gigabytes per second of write performance. And just to give you a sense, that would be more than a rack full
3: of... Uh,
0: yeah, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen a disk drives with 80 gigabytes of uh, read performance, quite frankly.
3: Right, it's because it's running parallel. Uh, a yeah, quantum shift, I would agree. Um, and the marketplaces that you're planning on going into, I would I would imagine that that seismology is a big one, uh, the financial markets, biomedical engineering, the the real hitters for uh, for high performance, right?
1: Sure, that's right. Uh, where Cray has typically focused their efforts there in in the market has been um, with government labs, defense, intelligence. Um, certainly in, uh, weather, uh, as a big market, uh, also the, uh, oil and gas and other energy, uh, environments. Uh, those have all been big, uh, sort of traditional Cray markets. Uh, but now we're joining HPE. So, uh, as of last month, we're, we're now merged into HPE and they have, uh, obviously many, many more salespeople and, a much wider uh, set of targets that they work at. So to your point about uh, financial services, uh, biotech, uh, many more of the kind of commercial markets that uh, another one that we talked about earlier is kind of aerospace. And those are areas that Cray hasn't been uh, as focused on, but are big, um, important markets for our friends at HPE.
0: The metadata services for something like this has got to be fairly sophisticated, I'm guessing?
2: It is. And it it also needs to learn how to scale in order to meet the exascale requirements around the world. So those are part of the improvements made in the Lustre file system itself is to build out the metadata uh, system to support high-performance devices but also support um, more inodes in a file system to be able to parallelize the metadata operations across multiple servers um, and be able to uh, build out tiers of uh, directories within the file system as well to make it more efficient for the system to function. I kind of danced around a question. I didn't really answer it succinctly uh, a little while ago, Ray, but you asked about um, IOPS. In Lustre, and it is a significant change. Um, to that effect, uh, Cray has invested a lot in putting features that optimize uh, smaller IOs um, in the Lustre file system, specifically to support the, the benefit of having a Flash device. And it's not just Cray, it's the rest of the uh, Lustre community as well. So these uh, these enhancements are just now coming into uh, the current Lustre releases, like Lustre 2.12, which is uh, the long-term support release from the community community. And there are many more that are being applied to the master branch going forward. So you, you'll expect to see um, a change in luster as it's repositioned for you know, being exclusive to high bandwidth types of environments to now meet uh, you know not just exascale, but the hybridization of uh, AI and you know, small IOPS driven workflows with the classic big bandwidth uh, scientific, scientific computing as well.
0: So it seems to me that you know luster, and it's not not a knock on luster, but a lot of the the high performance computing storage environments were fairly difficult to configure and use. I mean, it required a lot of knowledge and that sort of stuff. Have you
2: made any inroads in that area as well? Absolutely. You know, one of the challenges, of course, is Lustre is very flexible. So anytime something's flexible, it requires a little bit more knowledge in how to exploit the flexibility. But um, you know what we do, our business model, literally, is to be able to take Lustre, um, make it easier to use uh, for end users so and the administrators so that they don't have to literally performance science experiment to install luster we we uh, I'll say we we almost make it appliance like uh we install it we configure it um uh, set up the uh, set up the object storage servers, the targets behind them. Same for the metadata servers. So when Cluster Store Cluster Store shows up on a uh, customer's a site, in essence, the you know the administrator's task is is already half over. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit more about making it easier to use through Cluster Store Data Services, uh, where we. You know, we'll start to take uh, many tools that the administrators use to, frankly, manage and maintain Luster. And we allow the administrator to now start using one interface and one set of tools that have been designed and have been integrated with the solution, you know, by Cray it's, you know, itself, it'll also have an impact upon end users who uh, maybe have uh, been forced to use Luster commands that don't work too inefficient, that work inefficiently. And when in, in the in the new age with E1000 and Cluster Store Data Services, the end users will be able to literally use this new software to be able to do things like you know search and find on their files and and not have to go you know wait a day for the results to come back
0: but we're talking exascale types of <laughs> file dimensions or at least numbers of files in the, in the billions I'm guessing things like that is that
2: yeah yes absolutely in the billions
1: yes yeah, some of our early customers are are some of the very first in fact all of the very first uh US based exascale systems so the very first customer that we will uh ship the system to at least at scale we'll ship some smaller systems, will be uh, Argonne National Labs. Uh, So they're going to get a 400 petabyte system that will deliver over two and a half terabytes a second. um, And that will support a new supercomputer called Aurora that will be delivered in 2021. So we're delivering the storage system, which will actually be a site-wide storage system connecting to other supercomputers like Theta. But... uh, it will happen in 2020 with the new system coming in 2021.
0: So for a 400 petabyte file system kind of thing, how many files do you think that's gonna represent? So typically the requirements in the, uh,
1: for these large systems are in the billions of inodes.
0: Billions of inodes. Now an inode would be a, f- a directory or a file, right? Yeah,
1: it could be a directory or a file. Um, and it's, uh, Yes, so it, they'll be in the billions, and each one is um, going to be specified independently. But as Mark said earlier, a lot of work has been done by the Luster community uh, and by Cray actually to uh, develop a scalable metadata solution. Uh, and all of these very large systems are have this as a requirement. In fact, you know, we're delivering the first four uh, awarded supercomputers and uh, all of them uh, have chosen uh, this new cluster store e1000 system and so we're already looking at a backlog of over 1.3 exabytes of storage that we sold and will be delivering over the next couple of years as these supercomputers
0: roll out. It's a nice place to be actually. (laughs) So you know, lots of talk about flash and stuff like that. Are you using the flash in the metadata side of things or as well as the data? And, and, and are you doing tiering and that sort of stuff? I mean, there's lots of questions in my mind about how you're able to do uh, the high level of IOPS as well as bandwidth, right?
3: Right, the storage nuts and bolts, deduplication de- even. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's just one of the yeah, things.
1: One thing we haven't mentioned before I let Mark explain more about the tiering is the other half of the story. So there are two principal building blocks here. We talked about the 2U24 flash system, but the other one is also important here, which is the disk array. Uh, That enclosure will support in four rack units, uh, 106 drives. So you're looking at being able to, in a single 4U box, be able to put this year um, over 1.2 petabytes of usable storage in 4U. You know, if you fill up a rack of those things, you're talking about nearly 10 petabytes in a single rack. And by the time this rolls out in 2021 and 2022 to some of these larger systems, we'll be seeing 20 terabyte drives and over a petabyte and a half in a single one of these systems. So it's really those two building blocks going together, the flash and the disk that allow us to build these uh, you know, these uh, storage systems that can serve these exascale supercomputers.
3: And in, in um, storage terms there's no place in this architecture for spinning disc am i correct
1: oh yeah that's what i just that's what i just mentioned so that that four u high enclosure has 106 spinning disc drives in it
3: wow okay i i assume that was also nvme
1: and they really provide the capacity. So if you think about flash delivering the performance, as Mark was saying earlier, the capacity is just way too expensive to deliver in flash these days. So you need to complement the flash with that disk. And so if you can get a petabyte or so of pretty inexpensive, I mean a a flash or a a disk system is well less than a penny per uh, gigabyte stored. Um, and so you, you're now getting a, uh, a combination of flash plus disk. But as Mark said earlier, the magic is how do you make those into a single system so that the user doesn't have to say, put this here, get this there, that sort of thing.
2: Well,
3: one, one more question, and, and that's um, the, the location for the solid state in, in this equation. Is that going to be primarily used as a uh, caching mechanism?
1: It's going to depend, I think, on the user's uh, requirements. Um, some of the some of the data that they keep is actually uh, cache. It's, think about it as application level cache. But what we're doing actually is just building a file system. So this is uh, having files either in Flash and typically You're going to want the files that you're actually executing against in the Flash uh, systems so you get the best performance, both read and write. And then when you're done with that, you need to get them out of the Flash so that you can run the next job.
3: So I, I guess this question is from Mark. Is is that um, auto-tiering? Is it, does that look at the metadata and say, well, this this file hasn't been accessed in X amount of uh, hours, minutes, days, weeks, who knows, uh,
2: and automatically move that stuff? It, it, the, the cache question was actually interesting, intriguing. So, okay. but if you don't mind, I'd like to go back there for just a moment. And that's kind of the way... You know, the market's consumed flash so far. It's like we, we know it has appeal for performance stakes, but, you know, customers, they don't want to manage more than just a few things. And and one of the objections we we saw earlier uh, a couple of years ago with a another flash based product was um, when either administrators or, or maybe end users the researchers and scientists themselves when they had to manage flash as a separate entity from the the uh, parallel file system sitting on disk it, it 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 overwhelmed them it became too much so the the idea of using um, flash storage as a cache naturally evolves from that. If you can, you know, if you can manage a single parallel file system without having to use a second thing, um, and just get the flash storage to be a, a cache, I get the benefit of having performance from that 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 technology, and not having to manage more than just the parallel file system. Now, there's also, a cons- you know, there's consequences. Is there a way to really guarantee that cash is going to sustainably, you know, deliver performance? No, you can't, you can't say that about cash. You know, cash doesn't really understand the application. It just understands data is moving, you know, back and forth.
0: It's it's reacting to the uh, the real dynam- demand that's occurring, right? That sort of thing.
2: Yes. and and And, you know, you can only predict so far into the future given any application. So, so what we're going to do with Cluster Store and the E1000 is offer uh, customers the option. To if you want to configure this as a, um, uh, we'll call it a transparent cache, uh, you can do that. And, and then cluster store will intuitively, it'll, it'll know that, well, maybe for optima, you know, optimized performance, I just want to read straight from the disk if that's where the data is and write it back to Flash. Uh, maybe reread it from Flash. Maybe keep it in Flash for other steps in the workflow. Um, and then turn it over to the policies that the administrator uh, has defined to determine how long do I keep it? there before i move it back down to disk i want to optimize the ops uh, you know the, the use of flash and so i've got to keep some flash available for the next job coming in we all understand that but there's another use case and it's for those um, i'll call them power users it, it's the the at the the uh, scientists the the researcher who understands what their application is doing and how best they can use the file system to, to optimize performance. In, in that case, you know, we're going to give the user tools to be able to say, either, you know, through scripts or uh, through the workload manager, put my data in Flash, leave it there. And leave it there until I tell you I'm done with it. And I may not be done with it on this job step. Maybe I'm going to keep it there for a day or, or perhaps even longer. So there's a couple of tools that we'll give to end users to be able to say, well, why don't you tell me what it is that you want to do? And ClusterStore then automates that process. And, and these are lessons we've learned uh, where the technologies that are coming out of the former Cray Data Warp product uh, will service well in Lustre. So here we are. We've got one thing to manage. It's called Lustre. Uh, as opposed to different file systems. Uh, it is uh, giving the user the choice of, you know, make it easy for me. Just just give me, you know, the performance out of Flash. Or it gives them the option. We talked about flexibility and complexity a while ago, right? Well, you know, some people can handle that. Some people want that option. And in that case, we can give them the tools to say, you can manage it, and if you want it placed in Flash, we'll do that for you, and we'll automate the process.
0: Back to the metadata side of things here. But, I mean, does this sort of... Uh, caching or, 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 or power use kind of thing also apply to the metadata as well as the data?
2: Yeah, kind of. We're working on a feature. Um, it, it won't be in the first release, but we're working on a feature that would, uh, in essence, allow an end user to spin up their own file system, if you will. And that gives them the privileges to a, a reserved uh, metadata system as well. So they can, in essence, have a kind of a guaranteed quality of service that, you know, would lock out competing applications. So, you know, that's something on the drawing board and on the roadmap going forward. We'll get there. Sort
0: of like multi-tenancy, as I would call it, kind of thing. Is that?
2: I, I'd, I'd say more file system on demand or uh, how about dynamic file system? That's interesting. But that would be absolutely a metadata play. Okay.
0: Okay. Is that, You may keep talking about parallel file systems now. In, in the old days, you know, parallel file systems would... End- would entail your own sort of uh, API and host um, level functionality, but later versions of NFS have supported parallel file systems. I mean, when you're talking about luster parallel file system, does that involve a luster client? Uh, is this the right word? Or, or uh, Yeah, I guess client is the right word.
2: Sure. Yes. Uh, and that would be one of the things that uh, the customers would look to Cray to, uh, frankly, deliver simplicity for them. Uh, we would put the cluster client on the, the the Cray or soon to be the HPE servers uh, and install that in the factory before delivering to the customers, so that the administrator wouldn't have to do that.
0: Okay. And that provides the parallel file system access to something. You're not necessarily using NFS version 4.2 or 3 or something like that to do that.
2: Correct. It's a native client uh, that talks to the file system.
0: I mean, and in file systems, uh, do you guys support things like, God forbid, snapshots and and, and deduplication and, and, uh, I don't know, replication things, compression, security, encryption? Those are like five different things I just mentioned for file systems.
1: So there's um, some of the things that we're doing immediately and some of the things in the longer run. So uh, in terms of uh, some of the markets that I mentioned earlier, some of the customers there are very interested in strong security, as you can imagine. Uh, so uh, in particular, the their interest is encryption at rest. So this is something that we've supported in the previous generation of the product uh, and will be supported in this generation as well. So that in the event that a drive is removed from the system, Uh, it will have, uh, it will be missing the key needed to unlock the data that's actually resident on that drive. So it becomes very secure for uh, some, particularly some of our government customers.
0: And is that done at the drive level by the drive itself, or is it done through uh, the E1000 control logic kinds of things?
1: Uh, Both actually, but it's the actual encryption is done at the drive and because that encryption is distributed to all of the drives themselves whether they're flash or disk uh, it doesn't impact performance to any uh, significant degree and so you can uh, deliver both the performance as well as the security that they require some of the other features you were mentioning um, bring up uh, another topic which is uh, some, some of the evolution of Lustre, uh, particularly in the uh, what's called the backing store, um, the store that's actually used to put the data down on the uh, disks or the flash. Uh, typically that has been a, uh, a um, Linux file system known as ext4, uh, modified for Lustre and called ldiskfs. Uh, but now there's an, a new champion uh, on the horizon. Uh, so ZFS, which has been around Oracle and Sun and other places for years now, has been pressed into service uh, for uh, use with Lustre. And um, that is some, something that we'll support also in the new E1000 Uh, cluster store system. So the customer will have the choice of either having the um, original LDISCFS system or the new uh, ZFS system. And what ZFS offers is the uh, potential to do things like snapshots and compression. It would be a little bit hard to do dedupe at the kind of scale we're talking about
3: mentions a joke by the way uh, i'm a big I'm a big fan of zFs I, I've worked with it for many years uh, and I can see the benefit there and and I think you can probably tell by some of the questions I asked that uh, that I'm sort of bent that direction um, and so
1: and so are many many customers that are with you on that
3: one uh, so I, I you know when when I talk about read and write cash uh, in the SSD layer um <clears throat> that's definitely from the from my ZFS days. Ah yes.
1: So we'll be um using ZFS uh to perform some of those functions. Um and maybe Mark can describe some of them with some of the luster capabilities. Uh we won't do that straight out of the uh straight out of the gate here. Uh but um compression uh some of the experiments that we've done to date show that uh, compression can be uh, deliver even with the you know scientific data, which in some which in some ways is often pre-compressed, can deliver you know thirty percent in some cases fifty percent uh, improvements in uh, capacity for the user. So um, one of the things that we'll offer is the ability to run LDISCFS, for instance, on the flash side and run. ZFS on the disk side, and so ZFS you might be able to use the compression, and disk FS because it's actually a sort of a simpler file system. uh, We can get it to run considerably faster on the flash technology. So the combination of both may turn out to be quite useful for some customers.
0: Uh, That's interesting, and and so you're talking strictly the data layer, but there's a metadata side of this as well that. uh, and does it use L-Disk FS as underlying backend storage?
1: Yes. So so it can use either l FS or ZFS. Again, l FS is faster. So typically we're going to advise customers to use the faster system. But there are a lot of customers like yourself who are you know, very familiar with ZFS and uh, they like the attributes of ZFS. So if they want ZFS metadata.
0: Back to way back we started talking about AI and and, and HBC and, and and there are definitely different styles of workloads, but you're starting to see uh, a lot of your customers doing doing AI in that space as well?
1: Yeah, it's it's um, it's really coming along as in almost every discipline, we see that, you know, there's a lot of um, researchers who, you know, have a new tool, you know, they are used to having a hammer, and all of a sudden somebody gave them a screwdriver, and they're finding out, wait, hey, there's a lot of screws we can turn here in our, uh, in our workflow. And so they're finding ways to take advantage of this new tool uh, as part of their HPC world. Now in, you know, HPE is, um, uh, strong in the kind of overall AI system for a lot of enterprise kinds of applications. So it's not just HPC that, um, the overall company is looking at, but what we're really interested in and what we think this product is super well suited for is the convergence of those two things. And so as we see uh, you know, 50% today and growing very fast, uh, the convergence of both this kind of machine, particularly machine learning techniques into these, um, these workflows, We think this particular—I mean, we can do three million read IOPS. Like, you can go find uh, the brochures from a lot of the enterprise uh, all-flash arrays, and they're kind of nowhere near that for a single two U twenty-four system, and that's running Luster. So, you know, we talk to our AI friends about this. They see, wow, that's that's a pretty uh, pretty good system there. We'd like to see that. Even in areas like autonomous driving and that sort of thing, where you have the combination of massive data sets that we can put on that very high density disk, as well as huge IOPS requirements, uh, which can be delivered from this uh, new 2U24 Gen 4 system.
0: And, and just just to clarify, when you say something like the 2U24, the 4U106 drive, that includes uh, a controller for those drives as well as uh, the, the basic storage?
1: Yeah, so let me describe that a little bit. The a basic building block is that 2U24. When it's filled with 24 disk drives in it, you can use it as an all-flash array. It has two servers built in that provide high availability. Those two servers are actually ROM servers, so they're that based on the AMD ROM system, which is how we get the very early um, PCIe Gen 4 um, capability into the system. And we can take that same uh, box, we leave out most of the SSDs, we attach it to that uh, very high density disk enclosure, and we can use it as a disk enclosure because it still has the same two servers built in. It still does high availability by failing over uh, between those two servers. And uh, it serves both functions for us, as well as doing uh, metadata, as we discussed earlier. So it's really just giving different personalities to that uh, controller, uh, allows us to build very complex systems, very flexible systems with only two building blocks that anyone has to sort through.
0: You don't have a specific, uh, and I'm not sure if the right term, a metadata server physical manifestation and, and a data server kind of side of things. They're just all these building blocks that do both services?
1: Yeah, essentially you just, um, it's software defined to uh, use a term of art. Basically, you just load the personality that you need to have. For instance, your metadata personality, load up the SSDs that the customer needs for their billion inodes or so, and you now have the metadata unit. Then on the other hand, if I'm doing um, a big disk system, so one of the very first systems uh, that I mentioned earlier, Argon, will be primarily a disk oriented system. So we're gonna ship a lot of those uh, 2U24 controllers, but they're mainly gonna be controlling that uh, those disk enclosures. It's just what personality you add here, and that really simplifies the life of the administrator as well as the uh, systems architect.
0: And yeah, so the cluster, uh, the the clusters. You talk about cluster store data services, and we haven't really talked about too much of that. Is there besides the Turing, Is there something else there, Mark? That you want to mention? Uh,
2: yeah, I, I I I would actually. Um, you know, Larry talked about. Uh, Argon uh, a while ago. Um, there are other exascale um, awards that you know Cray is working on, and they they run the they run the uh, the gamut from being all disk systems to being all flash systems to being hybrid systems that comprise flash and disk. Uh, so there's no one size fits all. Um, and you know the cluster store data services values most apparent when we talk about tiering. Because there's a movement of data from disk into flash and and, and back down to disk. But even in those um, environments where maybe it's all flash or maybe it's all disk, um, cluster store data services is um, adding technology that makes luster itself easier to use. We started to talk a little while ago about the scalability challenges, you know, with uh, billions of inodes. And you can imagine that um, looking for, you know, a file or a directory within a a file system that's that large, if you had to walk the file system sequentially, you know, a simple activity takes hours to do in a file system that size. So we've actually used cluster store data services to Impart um, Cray IP into the Luster system to optimize how how data is indexed, how it's searched, um, and then provide interfaces to you know both the end user and the the administrator to you know frankly to be able to use this. Uh, product um, kind of seamlessly um, or uniquely. And so you know, one of the key challenges has, has always been a, a user comes in and does an LFS find, and it takes hours because you know, Luster's walking through the you know the the metadata line by line to find the user's file, and that ties the system up. And an admin gets a phone call: Why is my job running low? Because it's slow. Because it's this user that's doing a you know unnecessary find uh, operation. So clusters. Store data surfaces even in a disk-only uh, environment um, has the ability to optimize the operational Luster itself. Um, and then there's going to be uh, there's going to be uh, activities like you know my file system's filling up, so it's all on flash. My file system's at 85 percent utilization. I got a big job that needs to start tomorrow. How do I uh, how do I determine what data is not needed any longer? You know, so an administrator is going to say, "Well, I got to purge. Uh, I don't necessarily need to move data. I need to be able to, to, to you know, trim the data uh, out of uh, the file system." So, you know, cluster store data services would allow an administrator either to set policies to do this automatically, or to be able to manually go in. I'm looking for this kind of data. Maybe it's more than a week old. Quickly find that. So that goes back to indexing and search, and then be able to, you know, basically just say, "I need to purge it. Purge it now, and get it ready for tomorrow's." workload. So cluster store data services is more than just hearing. That's the end. Lesson.
0: Right. In a lot of cases the HPC workload seems to be, you know, creating these temporary files for scratch workplace, if that's the right term, and then pretty much jettisoning them at the end of that whatever that workflow ends up to be. Is that kind of the world we're talking about here?
2: Um, partly. Yeah. You know, cluster was kind of born as a, a scratch file system, a high-performance scratch file system. But it's become, you know, over the years, it's become more than just scratch. It's meant now to hold data for, uh, and protect data, that's, that's most important, uh, for extended periods of time. So, um, you know, we still have all the obligations of providing the high-performance, but, you know, now we have to to be a real file system, and that means protecting data, providing the tools to manage data. That
0: that brings up a whole other discussion here, uh, and we only have time for a little bit. But with 4 petabytes of storage, how do you protect something like that? Do you replicate it or duplicate it? You certainly don't fire up a backup job and take you know a couple of thousand silos of, of tapes or something like that.
2: Well, I'll, I'll tease. I'll tease a bit. Um, this would be my uh, data management framework conversation, and how uh, data man uh, HPE's existing DMF seven uh, would be able to uh, look into the Luster file system. Um, it would also have policies based upon age, uh, size of the file, last time used, uh, other you know. The user, the group, and it would be able to say, "Okay, rather than purge it, I want to, I want to take it, and I want to put it someplace, and I want to make copies as I do that." And um, you know, it's you, you really can't run backups on a file system that's petabyte. You can't do it. But but DMF, DMF has the ability to not just optimize utilization of the, the Lustre file system but also put data in um, you know in uh, zero watt storage or object storage or tape and make copies put it at a second site and in doing the traditional kind of archive workflow it provides data protection services as well so that would be my pitch for DMF7 in the new age
0: all right we're going to have to end there matt uh, any last questions for larry and mark no actually
3: that that last point uh, about data management services was uh, was top of mind from the very beginning of the conversation, wanted to know, you know, how we would manage the backups of this massive amount of data. And uh, and I think that the metadata tier is mission critical to finding those rarely used files within the backup. Uh, be very interesting to see how this plays out. I've really enjoyed the conversation.
0: Yeah, yeah. Larry and Mark, anything you'd like to say to our listening audience before we close? no thank you for the opportunity
1: and it was a great discussion
2: i'd say that both larry and i will be at uh, supercomputing uh, in two weeks time and uh, both will both of us will be on and about the the cray expo on the floor okay
0: just a plug for supercomputing it's in denver again this year so i will be attending (laughs) Uh, okay so well this has been great thank you very much larry and mark for being on our show today thank you ray thanks very much it was good next time We'll talk to another system storage technology person. Any questions you want us to ask, please let us know. And if you enjoy our podcast, tell your friends about it. Please review us on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify, as this will help get the word out. That's it for now. Bye, Matt. Bye, Ray. (laughs) And bye, Larry and Mark. Bye, Ray. Until next time. Thank you.